0: Welcome to Real Money Talks, real strategies from the moneymakers and the world changers that you can use to make millions, keep those millions, multiply your wealth, and build your team. Here's your host, author of five New York Times bestsellers, money expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, The Street TV, Fox News, and The View, Laurel Langmire Hi, this is Laurel. Welcome back to Laurel's
1: Real Money Talks a podcast where we're talking about how to make money, how to keep money, how to invest it, and we interview team members from all over the world, and today I have Azan with me. We met 10 years ago, she told me right before our broadcast, in, uh, I believe, South Africa, and uh, now is in uh, Canada and has had an enormous journey of learning and sharing and is here to help you really talk about the business side of what she's doing and how her background can also help you. So, Azan, welcome to Laurel's Real Money Talk.
2: Thank you very much, Laurel. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So, tell us more about you, where you grew up and to where you are now, because I think that experience is what allows you to be, you know, an amazing expert in really the mindset and the shifts around money, very similar to what I teach.
2: Sure, Laurel. Uh, You know, I've been working primarily in Africa uh, probably for the last 20 years. I was born in Africa and also uh, engaged in Europe and some Asian countries uh, over the last 20 years. And uh, to the listeners, uh, you are in the company of the best because I have been mentored by Laurel for the last 10 of those 20 years. But today, instead of sharing more with you about specific credentials or achievements, I really want to share something personal with you about me as a person. And it starts with my name. And my full name is Izan Numbula Swanepo. Now, many people have asked what's in a name, But the fact that I'm African makes this very relevant because African children are traditionally named after places, spirits, ancestors, events, anything occurring during the time of their birth. And we believe that a name can influence both the life of the child and the family. So choosing a name is done with great care and consideration because it sculptures your destiny. In some African countries, parents name their children after famous political figures, hoping that their kids would be as successful as their namesake. So being in uh, America, you shouldn't be surprised that Barak is a popular name that's used in Africa, which actually means blessing. So I was blessed with two African names, the one being Izan, given to me by my parents. And this was really my mom's intuitive creation that came to her in a dream So she thought it was original with no particular meaning. But later on in my life, when I did business with some of the um, ministers in Nigeria, they told me that the Ibu meaning for Izan, uh, which is a Nigerian African name, is the good, righteous mother. And my second name was given to me as an ancestral blessing by the Zulus. Now, I grew up in what we call Zululand, which is a coastal region in uh, South Africa. And you see, just before I was born, there was a great drought in Zululand, which caused shortage of food supply. Cattle were dying. And for the Zulu uh, people, cattle are a sacred symbol and an expression of their wealth. So this was catastrophic And I'm told that the day that I was born, it started raining. So, they named me Nomvula, which means Queen Mother of the Rain. So, yes, uh, you are in the presence of royalty today. (laughs) So, um, the Zulus, of course, use rain as a symbol for prosperity. And many years later, when I started working uh, with an American gentleman, actually in France, he asked me about my, what my African names meant, and when I told him, he said, oh, so you are like the African rainmaker, and it stuck. Uh, so, from then onwards, I was called the African rainmaker. So, I've known that my calling since birth is to help people and businesses unlock their path to prosperity, fulfillment, and contribution by ser- serving the greater good. And I really believe that prosperity, fulfillment, and contribution work hand in hand. As they are a consequence of each other. So I feel very excited. I have recently moved to North America, and I really look forward to serving and be of of contribution to Americans and Canadians.
1: So thank you for that. It's, uh, what a great story! You need to go write about that more. I didn't. I hadn't heard that from you. Talk a little bit about, especially you know, growing up in Africa, to you know, working with. I'm going to say folks from all the world, but now living in Canada right? Which is a very different, I mean, conservative, I'm married to a Canadian. So I know their, you know, their structure. structured, <laughs> I would say. So talk a little bit about the differences. I think those that are listening, and uh, we have a lot of podcast listeners from around the world, they, you know, aren't, I'm going to say, blessed yet with the, whether it's traveling or working with different cultures. But when we're talking about money, because we're going to get there in a moment, I just want to set a larger frame for this, just the differences. I mean, I know when I worked in Africa, the relationship to money and investing, because there's just such limitations on choices, it was drastic for me, I mean, to learn to teach in that kind of a culture. So share a little bit about just the differences for those that don't know, in a lot of the cultures that you've taught in around the relationship to money.
2: Absolutely. As you rightfully say, Laurel, there are significant differences. Uh, The first one that comes to mind that is not that obvious is the word of collaboration. And so you need to understand that if we look at the American context, we will view that as an eye culture. So first of all, people are responsible for themselves, meaning they're also responsible for themselves financially. And when you are building up wealth or getting some type of income, it is really for yourself and possibly for your immediate family, which might be a husband and wife or wife or children. But in Africa, it's all about collaboration. And Africans are viewed as a we culture, which means that your money is not your own. When you earn the money, it is for distribution and sharing to uplift everyone. And so uh, in the same way, they then invest more collaboratively. So, today, when we look at American terms, crowdfunding is something that is uh, very familiar in in North America. However, this has been an approach that has been used in Africa for a very, very long time. And even to the extent which has been something that's been surprising to me, a very common way of investment and collective investment in Africa is, in some contexts, actually illegal in North America. And not viewed as an ethical approach to investment, which is quite ironic. So it's just a completely different mindset. In terms of the concept of money, if I would have to look at a a second thing or or the relationship to money, as you had mentioned, people in America, I would say, have a significantly different relationship with money in general than Africans. Of course, there is an element of scarcity in Africa. But people, and please forgive me, this is my interpretation, but people in Africa tend to be more sharing in terms of everyone being included. But as a result, the downside to that is that it's very difficult to build up some type of saving or lump sum, where in America, maybe the downside is that people culturally are not always uh, viewed as more sharing in terms of their immediate wealth with others because it's first the eye. But the upside to that is there's an ability to build independence and not be a burden on other people. Because in Africa, as a result of the sharing, there's also an expectation later in life, which can be a, become a burden to the younger people of that particular tribe. And then the last thing, which was quite surprising to me, and yeah, I need to make a distinction between Canada and USA when I speak of North America, and this is just a perception, my perception at least, is that if I would look at the US and I look at Africa as a whole, I would say that there's significantly more enterprise thinking versus Canada. So, of course, it's for different reasons. So in Africa, your enterprising people are out of necessity because very often there they are just no alternatives. And so out of necessity, people build this capability of being enterprising and actually it errs on brilliance, even though this is not always showcased. A lot of world firsts come from that space of necessity. The first mobile banking happened in Africa, in Namibia, and I was actually part of that project, just to use an example, where yep. in North America, people that are enterprising are doing it for a different reason. They probably, um, they would like to accumulate more wealth, or they would like to aspire to a greater contribution, or it's a internally encouraged situation, it is not necessarily always out of necessity or at the same level of necessity.
1: Mm, Brilliant. So, noticing that those differences, you know, around the world and in that conversation, what do you think, just more personal opinion, why so few people get this money thing right? I mean, obviously, there's a huge cultural norm. I appreciate you sharing that because I don't think people realize I think it's overstepped and overlooked a lot. So I appreciate you sharing that. But from that context, why in general do people have a thing about money? i say a thing because it's just this interesting relationship.
2: Sure. Well, the first aspect is definitely around mindset. And I think there's a lot to be said about mindset, but when... When people view things as scarce, uh, they don't see a possibility to even angle in that avenue. Uh, But a more important one that I want to focus on in in this discussion is the understanding of money. And people err on caution around speaking about money. And this is, I find, a, a global Thing that I experience is that in general, very few people are willing to speak about their financial situation or speak about understanding money as there's almost a, an element of shame around it, especially if you didn't get it fully right. And so it doesn't leave a lot of avenues for people to go to in order to find the how or even the what. They usually go to traditional systems like banks and financial advisors. Now, I know that there's a place for them, but this is not where you're going to get the advice to uh, really accumulate wealth. So the premise of the understanding of money for me is beautifully summarized in Ill's book called Herd, How to Change Mass Behavior by Harnessing Our True Nature. And specifically, I want to draw here on, on the definition that is used between the difference of complex and complicated. So if we look at complicated, a jumbo jet is complicated. So a jumbo jet is made up of millions of tiny parts. And with time, patience, skill, and a good manual maybe, uh, you could take the plane apart and eventually put it back together again. But if we speak of complex, well, mayonnaise is complex. Mayonnaise is different in the sense that it's a stabilized suspension. And it's the result of the interaction of many different ingredients and the way you add them to each other. You can't just take mayonnaise apart to produce the original ingredients and then recombine them, as any amateur cook would know. So complicated is reducible and recombinable, but mayonnaise, on the other hand, are neither of these two. So the important lesson from this is that creating financial wealth is inherently complex, so it's more like mayonnaise, uh, because it's based on the interaction of individual agents. But we try to understand it as if it's complicated, as if it's just got small pieces that you can add together. And that's, I really think, why people find it difficult to understand and why I believe you've had so much success in helping people become millionaires through your sequenced approach because there's inherent understanding of the complex nature of wealth creation instead of viewing it as a complicated system.
1: So true. Um, So keep talking through that. So as people see it as, I'd say, complex and complicated, I'm going to use both of those adjectives, there's a decision that's made, and um, I love that we're heading down this track. It wasn't in all your questions, but I'm curious where you would take this conversation of how people, they've just decided. I mean, do you think it's more generational? They've decided. They've made a decision about money, whether they're scared of it, entitled to it, whether it's complicated or complex. There's some decision that gets made along the way where people either lean into wanting to learn more and being in the relationship in a healthy way or completely avoiding it. What's your thoughts on that and how you help people through that?
2: So I, I think that decision making is one aspect. But I also think that very often it's the gift of, being, of actually reaching out and connecting with people that actually are able to support and assist you. So there needs to be an inherent wanting to seek out the right people to learn from. So even if you make the decision to learn, but you're learning from a traditional banker, you are not going to learn the rules of how to become a millionaire, <laughs> to put it blankly because it's just a completely different approach to money. So in essence, I think what I'm saying is, yes, it starts with a decision. But I do think that there are other aspects that are equally important. And for me, that theme has been identifying the right people to speak to and then collaborating uh, in teams in order to sustain wealth creation. So it's not just about making it. You then need to learn how to keep it. And once you know how to make it and to keep it, you need the right team to support you in sustaining uh, that approach because there's definitely an exponential growth when you are doing it as a team.
1: So people are really scared. How do you coach them through it? What's your process?
2: Well, I I believe that there are, are seven fundamental steps that one needs to look at. And the starting point of that is to really identify as a starting point to shift the mindset. And to shift the mindset, we have to turn people from the why not into the why yes. And this seems easier than done because people have a lot of programming from the past, depending where, where they come from and at what point you're engaging with them. But this is a critical first step. And... When you're able to navigate them to find a big enough reason to want to engage, their mind shifts to the perspective that they now want to, they are open to engaging around a different way of doing things. And when one's able to have that discussion, you can then start getting clarity on where they are at. And this will assist you to uh, create clarity for them in their mind. And the first step to eradicating fear is gaining more control of your situation. But you can't feel in control if you don't even understand your situation. You feel so overwhelmed, you don't even know how to move forward. So once you have an understanding of where your situation is at, that functions as a dashboard in order to create a game plan on where you need to go. And once again, your end destination also is predetermined by yourself. And we then navigate you through that process. Um, by something that you, Laurel, call the cash machine, where people need to start activating cash flow. Uh, you need to start creating more cash in order to get you eventually to that place where you need to go. So the fourth one, I would say, is a continuous philosophy around learning and understanding how the wealthy make and keep money. Even today, I continue to do research on the wealthiest people in the world And that is something that is part of my life today, because if you don't understand the habits of those people that you are aspiring to be like or some aspects that you're aspiring to be like, then you have to go through all the hard knocks yourself. So instead, just develop a learning acumen where you want to learn from others that have achieved what you would like to do. The fifth one I've mentioned in some way, uh, which I believe is a very critical one, is collaboration. But this comes later in the process because it takes time to to identify those relationships that are trusted that are also required. Alternatively, you need to access networks that already have that established for you. The sixth one, I would say, uh, which keeps you motivated because even if you have the game plan in place, even if you feel more in control, as you move up in your ladder, in other words, as you become more and more successful, life will definitely give you some curveballs. And as you improve in terms of your capability of building wealth, there will be larger challenges that you are faced with. So you need to find a cause that's bigger than yourself to serve that will remind you to push through and engage when, when at times things are challenging. And then the last thing I would say, number seven, is managing your energy and not necessarily your time. And this is about efficiencies, and it's also about what are you expending your energy on? Because um, you could have additional time, but if you are burnt out, you won't be able to deliver.
1: I love your collaborative conversations, and I think you know so many people around the world have so much to learn from them. And I love the conversation, but I want you to just break it into some steps. So I'm hearing this for the first time in a different, I to say, country place. And I think people get the word collaboration, but if you were going to say do this first, do this second, how would you guide in a step-by-step? Into more collaborative conversations and agreements.
2: Okay. Step number one would be that you have to be clear on the parties involved, why they are engaging with each other. And very often people don't have that conversation. So there are undue expectations, which can lead to non-collaboration later down the line. So step number one is meeting each other where you act and really understanding why we want to collaborate with each other. I would say the the second step is in what way would we like to collaborate? So where is the equal value or additional value that we could contribute to each other? Because in collaborative relationships, there needs to be value on both sides or on all the sides uh, of the relationship. Otherwise, it's not sustainable or one will become less engaged. So, be very clear on the what. And the third step will be taking the time to define how this evolves and revisiting it from time to time because life isn't static. And uh, it's not always only about the personal gain that you can get from the relationship. And in fact, I would say, again, this might be perception uh, from my perspective, but In Africa, we have a tendency to meet people and care about people just for the sake of the person. I guess it's because we are very we-focused. So there are many people that I know in my life that I've taken the time to continuously engage, and I never did it with a particular need or a particular want from them in mind. It was merely for the fact of the relationship where if I review things, and this is, again, from a limited understanding or a, a less understanding than the African context, in America and the, and Canada, I think there's more of an element around a decided relationship. So the relationship is there with a particular intent. The one is not better or worse than the other. However, it's important to understand when you are engaging with people around the why, what, and how Also, where they are coming from and what is informing them culturally, what is informing them socially, uh, because all of those aspects would inform how the relationship would be fostered and grown over time.
1: So, how do people reach you? I mean, I could continue interviewing you and ask you questions. I love your perspective and the distinctions that you're bringing to the conversation. How do people reach you and what would be their first kind of conversation with you?
2: They're welcome to engage with me on my Facebook page. So they can go to facebook.com forward slash izan swanapoo official. So I'll just spell that out because it's an unusual name. So it's E-Z-A-N-N-E-S-W-A-N-E-P-O-E-L and then official O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L.
1: And so talk about the future. If you had, um, you know, 2020, we're in this COVID experience, this pandemic, if you had like some big, hairy, audacious goals, what do you see for yourself and what you're wanting to do and achieve?
2: You know, I really do want to serve from a, a North American perspective. I, I have realized that as I've engaged with North Americans and I've done a lot of uh, research uh, in terms of me. Saying research, I mean really engaging human beings uh, in in the North American continent to try and understand what some of their pain points are. And a lot of people have been suffering from a financial perspective, but even more so after COVID. And one of the real goals that I have is to support people at a large scale to shift that for themselves, because I really think that uh, there's a a possibility for people to really regain empowerment of their situation, but it depends on the mindset with which they're approaching it and the assistance that they can get to, to shift that. I really believe we owe it to ourselves to wake up and to step into our authentic selves and to serve with unique gifts that we came to earth with. Uh, Maybe uh, my belief informs this because I believe that the gifts that are inside of us, they don't belong to us, they belong to the community. And so we've arrived on this planet as a spiritual being to share these gifts and to contribute to the progress on earth. You did not walk into the planet to walk the status quo Mm. to what is already here. You came to the planet to shatter the status quo and to expand the paradigm and to make sure that things are better because you arrived. So Mm. I want to support people around their livelihood because your livelihood is where you have discovered your particular gifted nature. It's beyond a job. It means we have involved with something that is life enhancing and that carries forth the great mission of your soul. So we we want the world to be better than when we had arrived here before. So for me, uh, a livelihood carries some activation in, in us that when we are in our right livelihood, we're not just exchanging our time for money, but we are exchanging our time to create improvement on the planet. And it's as simple as that. If you activate your gifts, you are remunerated to the extent that you contribute uh, your unique value. And in in future discussions, pardon, in past discussions, uh, you have said what people need to hear, that we actually just plain selfish if we don't do this. And I concur with that. So I want to help people be unselfish and find that gift within them, unlock it and make a great life for themselves because they deserve it.
1: You know, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you. Um, I know we're going to continue to be working together. Those of you that are listening to Laurel's Real Money Talks, if you have any questions, you can always go to asklaurel.com, ask a question, make a request, and uh, just to also uh, let everyone know, if you go to millionairemakerstore.com, is where Izana and I were a reconnected. She was one of the top three winners of our virtual meetup and marketplace. And that is a three-day show where you actually get to make money. So, talk really quick. How much money did you make during our three-day event in our virtual meetup and marketplace?
2: It was thousand five hundred and ten dollars.
1: Ah, well done, well done. So, those of you again, if you would like to uh, know that you can come somewhere in one of these online summits, one of these zooms that everyone's doing from around the world, and make some money. Again, go to Millionaire Maker Store and uh, connect there. and we're going to continue also just to be doing marketplaces. So uh, stay connected to us and share the podcast. Suzanne, thank you. It's been a blessing for having you on today, and we'll be back
0: in touch. Thanks for listening to the Real Money Talks podcast. Your host has been Laurel Langmire, author of five New York Times bestsellers, Money Expert on Dr. Phil, CNN, CNBC, Visit asklaurel.com to submit your question, and it may just be covered on a podcast episode. So stay tuned and be sure to subscribe to get new episodes every week.